This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here, my guest this week in the studio, Mike Leonard. Mike, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for asking me to be here. You bet. Listen, if you have been in Bloomington for more than 30 seconds, you have to know this is Bloomington's journalist, <laughs> Mike Leonard. Award-winning experienced does that mean you're old <laughs> it does and it also means that if you're in the business long enough everybody wins an award for something so. <laughs> last year you won the national society of newspaper columnists legacy award mm-hmm. that usually means you're near death doesn't it it means i'm old yes <laughs> but it's wonderful and in their announcement for this award they led with this line Nobody does it better than Mike Leonard. <laughs> it, it was a nice thing, and, and um, I, I guess I get that reputation from having been the president and having been on the board for a long time that I'm, I'm good at kind of bringing people together and steering people toward a common goal. Now, you got involved with the National Society early on in your career. I had just gotten my column at the HT in 1985 after Greg Dawson left the paper. So got a postcard, and the editor then, Bill Schrader, said, sure, go ahead and go, because it was in Columbus, Ohio. So I go to the uh, conference in Columbus, Ohio, and I was so impressed that, first of all, they were just welcoming of everyone. And second, after a while, I found out that it was accepted that Ernie Pyle was like the avatar of modern column writing, you know, that everybody just accepted the fact that Ernie's the man. And I thought, well, isn't that nice? Uh, that's, that's down my wheelhouse being here in Bloomington. That was at the time when there were columnists like Jimmy Breslin, mm-hmm. like Mike Royko. These were titans. Yeah. Who are the columnists of today? Well, <laughs> that leads down that path of... Uh, Where is journalism going today? Which is another question I was going to ask at some certain point, but please, go on. There aren't people like that that I can really point to that um, are as well-known. But, for example, this year we're we're giving our Lifetime Achievement Award to Kathleen Parker. Uh But I'm really proud of our Hall of Fame. It it goes through most of the the great uh, writers of the last, you know, 20, 30 years. We're always kind of looking for, you know, who deserves it, who's, who has an output, and we try to balance it. There's some argument in the group right now that we've honored too many liberals than conservatives, thus, you know, Kathleen Parker, who's really not that conservative. Right. But last year it was Connie Schultz, um, and we met in Cincinnati, and I can remember my wife saying, you know, let's go after the banquet. I was like, no, that's her husband over there, Sherrod Brown. I'm not leaving without meeting him. So I walked over and chatted him up, and he asked me how Joe Donnelly's campaign was going. And I said, terribly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I said, you know, that Bloomington's a liberal town, but I have know so many Democrats that just can't stand him because the way he's trying to straddle this fence and, and saying he's for a border wall. And uh, Shroud just uh, just kind of smiled and nodded, you know. <laughs> the politician. <laughs> yes. He didn't want to say anything bad, and he said, I hope hope well for Joe. But you could tell that he thought the, the campaign was not what it should have been. 
He could conceivably be the president one day, and you knew him back when, or at least talked with him. Or I had a, I had a little phone interview with Barack Obama when he was running for president. Aha! Uh-huh. Did a phoner with him, and uh, the funny thing is I tried to make a joke, and it fell so flat that I said, <laughs> you know, it's basketball country here. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I said, well, people love it. You can go to your left. And there's a silence, and it's like you're you're left on the basketball court, not not in politics. And he's like, oh, oh, I get you, okay. So yeah, you started out in this business, the journalism business, back in the late '70s. Yeah, my first job out of college, the and I, I kind of weighed the bigger papers that were interested versus the smaller papers who offered. And then one day I was nowhere. The bigger papers didn't hire me and the smaller papers said we got tired of waiting. So my placement guy said, you ought to try this Carroll County Comet. It's a weekly, I know, but you should try it. So I went to the Carroll County Comet for my first year and I covered everything from town board to athletics, uh, the Delphi Oracles, one of the best names in the high school uh, mascots. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did that for a year and learned a lot about community journalism and the fact that not everybody takes the paper to, to read the news. You know, yeah. in a small paper like that, they want to see who visited who and right. that who sort of died. Thing. Yeah. It was one year, and, um, you know, I just couldn't take any more. Uh, and they were disappointed that I was leaving oh. after just a year. Uh, you know, I was in the middle of nowhere. So uh, I applied a bunch of places, took a job with Valparaiso, and then Bloomington called. And I came down here, and so I felt so terrible to call Valparaiso to tell him I wasn't taking the job. But I thought, Valparaiso, Bloomington, I'd rather be in Bloomington. You came here, you went to work for the Herald, was it called the Herald Times at the time? The Herald Telephone. The good old Herald Telephone. Were there any other papers in town? Not dailies at that point. That uh-huh. they, they had gone through the great newspaper war in Bloomington where um, Sarkis Tarzian, you know, right. the guy the guy that made the FM, uh, yep. and his son Tom still owns the radio properties and so on. But uh, he started a paper, and uh, they had a newspaper war for a good 10 years, and then the HT prevailed. So I got there right in the aftermath of the great newspaper war in Bloomington. Well, you started off uh, covering K-12 through education, and almost immediately you got your own column, which was called The Learning Process. That, that was a little bit of a joke to myself, by ah. the way, that uh, since I was covering education, mm-hmm. it's the learning process. And since I was young, mm-hmm. it was a learning process for me to learn the beat. Uh, but the whole idea was uh, once a week I'd write a column, and the idea was to get into the classroom and not be covering the school board and that sort of thing. Oh. It's like go to the classroom and highlight teachers that had innovative programs or Neat. people that had done well at something, the things that wouldn't get in the paper normally, so yeah. I enjoyed that. Were you even 25 years old at the time? No. Like you were a punk. 23, 24. <laughs> you keep on uh, piling on responsibilities as time goes by with the Herald Times. You loved music, and then you started writing a uh, local music scene column called Audibles. That's another one where I felt like I came up with a cute name, it, it, Audibles, <laughs> so it was like me calling audibles like in sports or audibles things you hear things mm-hmm. i hear that sort of thing so 
no one was covering anything. And I, I said, how come we're not covering this? And they said, oh, we lost our guy. Well, the guy they lost was Anthony DeCurtis. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Who went on to be senior editor of Rolling Stone. Right. And recently wrote a biography of Lou Reed. Were you swimming in those shoes? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did it differently. He was really uh-huh. focusing on what was happening in the in the national music scene. Uh-huh. And being for the Herald Times. For the Herald yeah, yeah. Herald Telephone. And I, I being more journalism oriented, he was an English major, English PhD. And I thought, you know, covering the scene was the thing to do. Yeah. And and so that's what I focused on. Like, you know, I, I wanted to preview things instead of review things and, and be able to say, don't miss this show versus boy, you missed a heck of a show. So any memorable shows? So many, really. For example, uh, John Mellencamp, he was, well, he was already famous. But at any rate, the band Lone Justice played in Alumni Hall. Hmm. And so John comes out and sings Sweet Jane with Maria McKee, the, the singer. You know, So that was good. Uh, one of my favorite memories is that I respect Neil Diamond, but you know, it, he had gotten old for me at the point where he played Assembly Hall, and it was sold out. And, you know, I wasn't into it at all, but I had to cover it. So my point of pride was that I wrote this very positive review, and I, but I never once said I liked it. Uh-huh. You know, I said when he did this, the crowd cheered, and then, and, you know, they turned on the, the, the globe ball, and everybody danced. And, and so I described it all on how the, the crowd enjoyed it, but I didn't say I enjoyed it. But, you know, if 18,000 people are there having a good time, who am I to say it, it was a bad show? <laughs> What possessed you to become a journalist? Seems crazy to me. Yeah, it's a good question. But um, if you know, if you go back to my, I'm 64. So if if you go back, you know that journalists were still held in high esteem, and you know what Watergate happened and those sort of things. But also just from the time my whole life, you know, teachers would say you're a good writer and so on. And then I had a terrible. Uh, journalism teacher in high school and so I thought twice about going into journalism and then my first two English teachers said you know you should either go into an English major or journalism so I got like pushed back on track so you did both at Ball State University yeah English and journalism you were born in Indiana born in Newcastle and grew up down the road in Greenfield the birthplace of the Hoosier poet James Wickham Riley did you read papers when you were a kid I was a nerd. I would, I, would, I, would, I would get up in the morning and have a glass of hot tea and read the paper before I went to school. Tea? Yeah. Wow, you were a nerd. I, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> My dad was a teacher, so I, I think some of that kind of drifted down. What were some of the stories that you recall that were big when you were a punk kid? Oh, the... Well, you know, the, the Coliseum uh, explosion disaster in Indianapolis. Mm. I don't know if you know about that, but a bunch of propane tanks went off, and it, it, it blew people, like, to the top of the Coliseum. I can't remember if, like, 70-some people died or whatever, but, you know, huge disaster there. And uh, when I was in college, what was uh, really entertaining was the uh, Tony Caritzis episode. So we're sitting there watching TV on a night when it happened, and everybody went live. So this guy, Tony Caritzis, thought he had been uh, given a raw deal by a mortgage lender or something like that. So he took the guy hostage, and 
he put, he put a, like a, a noose around his neck with a shotgun attached to it. And he was marching the guy down the street in Indianapolis with a shotgun to this guy's head. And so everybody broke in and they this did is live. live coverage. Wow. And, and you know, Tony Kritzis, you know, being a little bit off. A um, little bit. <laughs> yeah. Hit the... Let's just say that there were no uh, that they weren't able to delay anything. So you are hearing words on television that you will never hear on. Well, you can hear them on HBO, I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> at the time, uh, you didn't hear those words. That must have been exciting for a kid because I go back and I think to myself, I was 12 years old, and uh, Bobby Kennedy was shot, and Martin Luther King was shot, and there was the Democratic Convention in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I said, "That's exciting." You know, yeah. it's tragic, yes but exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same way. And we're talking about the same, same things. And, uh, to the shame of Greenfield, Indiana, that when I was a kid, like maybe in fourth grade and again in sixth grade, the Klan marched around the courthouse. And, uh, so all the media were there and I was young enough to be a a dumb kid that was just following the cameras around trying to get on camera. Yeah. But uh, I told David Baker this one time and, and, uh, he said, you know, it's because of your upbringing. But I said, you know, as ugly as that was, that one of the most impactful things that ever happened to me with the, in the subject of race relations, I saw some of the high school kids jawing with, some, with a Klansman. And I go over and listen, and the Klansman has a little kid, you know, four years old in a Klan outfit. And the high school kid is yelling at him, saying, that child will never have a mind of his own. And the Klansman says, yeah, but he'll never grow up to marry a... Wow. Fill in the blank. And as a kid, I just thought, that's horrible. So if if anything, the Klan March made me more solid. And, you know, you you were watching TV and you saw them turning the hoses on the protesters and whatnot. But that just solidified to me that racism was evil at a young age. Did you have the urge when you were the kid to be the first one who knew something? I heard about this. Let mm-hmm. me tell you all about it. That that drive of journalists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's probably pretty true. Mm-hmm. What about curiosity? Yes, I was always curious too. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I lived my, my family. Um, my youngest sibling says it was his job was the worst because he said everybody was smart and a smart aleck at the at dinner table and he couldn't get a word in edgewise because everybody else was like rapid fire puns and comments and whatnot so it, it was a little bit in the in the family uh, uh genes to to be that way and we had five kids and we lived in a tiny three-bedroom national homes house you know so you were one of five yeah yeah All right, so you got into journalism, but let me ask you this. I love first questions. Mm -hmm. Here's the first question. What is a journalist? In the simplest sense, I would go back, I guess, to, you know, going into the business, you know, that your job is to hold a mirror up to the world. So uh, I always thought that uh, that's that's honorable uh, thing to do is to be a journalist. And also, I didn't want to be sitting behind a desk all the time and that sort of thing. So... It would, it would allow me to get out into the world and ask questions. And uh, like I said, I grew up reading papers and kind of understood how things worked in terms of the role of a journalist and trying to explain to people what's happening, you know, that you can, you want to do more than just, uh, you know, dictation and, 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 and spitting it back at them, that uh, it used to be more 
ingrained in us that we're there to interpret what is happening in the news. So the normal reader who might not know a lot about zoning or something like that, that they understand what's going on. So that always held an attraction for me that you're always, you're always learning something and you're always on the go. Has uh, the definition or the role of the journalist changed in your 40 or so years in the business? Mm -hmm. And if it has, how have you adapted to it? Yeah, well, I haven't adapted a whole lot, but <laughs> certainly it's changed in the sense that, um, you know, especially in the, the Newt Gingrich era and so on, that um, we were always accused of being biased. And yeah. so it kind of forced this false equivalency that we see mm -hmm. today where you have to interview both sides, even though one side is saying the sky is blue and the other side is saying the sky is, you know, purple. Right. And you, you can look at it and say, no, it's not. So both sides don't deserve uh, equal treatment there, right. uh, in my opinion. So I think that's one of the things that's hurt journalism is that we've been cowed into sometimes carrying some baloney that just really doesn't deserve to be recognized. That reminds me, interestingly enough, uh, I don't know if you recall, I bet you do recall what was called the equal time regulation, I guess, an FCC regulation uh, right. that was dropped during the Reagan years. Yes. Now we give equal time almost to a fetishistic degree. Exactly. And the thing was, it, it worked fine. There was nothing wrong with the equal time. Yeah. Uh, that, um, that's too bad. Similarly, when, when I say that, it's like, there also wasn't anything wrong with the graduated income tax that we had that built the prosperity that we enjoyed through the 50s and 60s into the 70s. But, you know, now, instead of uh, people, rich people paying more tax, you know, above, you know, a high number, right. that, that they just don't pay the same amount of taxes. And so, uh, certainly, you know, we're getting off of journalism more into <laughs> what do you think about the world? But I think that... Uh, you know, we need to rebuild the middle class so we have people to go out there and spend money and buy those goods and services that keep everybody employed and keep everybody happy. Here you are opining. How do you stop doing that when you want to be a journalist? It's not as hard as it sounds. And actually, when the paper, when the HT was shrinking to the point where it said, Mike, they said, Mike, we can't afford to have you as a full-time columnist anymore. You know, we just, we've shrunk so much, you have to take a beat. And so I said I wanted the IU beat, the higher ed beat. And the spokesman at IU said, well, Michael McRobbie's never going to talk to Mike Leonard because I had written things in my column, you know, mm. that were critical. So we set up a meeting with the spokesman and uh, Michael and Bob Salzberg and myself, and that came up. And I said to President McRobbie, I said, well, it's not that hard. When you were vice president for information technology, you knew you weren't president of the university. So you did your job and you knew what your, your limits were. With me, it's the same thing. I write, wrote a column and I wrote opinion, but this is a news beat. So I write news. I'm not going to write opinion about IU. That's not part of the deal. Uh, I... I can, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. I, I understand my role. And he was satisfied, and we He bought up. it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, he, yeah, he understood. And I think, I think making it personal to him is yeah. like, come on, we know what our jobs are when we take them. 
And I had been a news reporter, um, you know, all my life, in addition to writing the column. So it worked out very well. And um, when I oh, left... Oh, so did you ever get into hot water with him after that? Not really. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you know, there are a few times where I was told that, you know, Michael didn't think you, you know, gave this enough notice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But no, when I left, as a matter of fact, that he even um, said at a board of trustees meeting, you know, that I was leaving and I'd done such a good job and so on. So it was like... It started out so terribly, and it turned out into a, a mutual. Oh, my old friend thing. Mike Leonard. <laughs> yeah, and and I changed. I, I I thought less of him before I covered the beat, oh. and when I covered the beat, I decided, you know, there's been a lot of lot of talk that I'm not buying. That I saw him as really being a, a pretty smart and fair person. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point now that you work for Indiana University. You're in the media school. You're an adjunct lecturer there. And I, I've done that. Well, matter of fact, I started doing that pretty young. I didn't do it every semester. But, huh. but I can remember that I was teaching in 1987 Ooh. because I told my class, if IU wins uh, the NCAAs you know, on Monday night, you don't have to come to class Tuesday. <laughs> uh, plus, you will witness something here in Bloomington that you'll remember all your life. And then after it all happened, they said, you know, when you said that, I thought that was, you know, a bit much. But then they were saying, man, that was incredible. Because, you know, a lot of people here don't remember what it's like, you know, but, you know, from from everybody, the kids filling up Showalter Fountain to just partying everywhere and running down the street drinking beers. And all the cops did was just watch to make sure that you weren't endangering yourself or anybody else. Right, right. Otherwise, they weren't grabbing people and saying you can't have an open beer. It was, and and it was so so joyful. Everybody was ecstatic, you know. So you could just feel it. You hung around the Herald Time, Herald Telephone, and Herald Times, same paper, for as we say, about thirty-five years. Mm-hmm. Actually, specifically, how long was it? Thirty-four years and eleven months. Almost thirty-five <laughs> years. Then I guess you went to work for Bloom Magazine here. Yeah. With all the uh, contraction in the newspaper biz, um, an old hat like me, after a while you get tired of everybody who left was not replaced. You know, So more and more duties, and some of them I would question, it's like, do you really want me doing this when I've got experience here and that yeah. sort of thing? And plus I had always said I didn't want to die in that chair <laughs> at, at the HD, so it, it looked like a good, good move. Your last column was August 11th, 2013. Here's one of the lines from it. You ready? Yep. I didn't need the late Anne Landers' sage advice to wake up and smell the coffee. It's time to go. (laughs) Uh, Yes, uh, exactly. And jump forward and you can say, yes, uh, maybe. It wasn't all that prescient. You know, the handwriting was on the wall then. But... um, Yes, it was just time. I didn't want to be the guy that was always grousing. You know, at some point it was like, okay, it's time for me to remove myself from this equation because I, I don't want to be a sourpuss. You did some pretty interesting things over at the uh, Herald Telephone slash Times. 2003, you covered uh, the meeting. I didn't even know this happened. I've only been in town since 2009. You covered a meeting of Muhammad Ali and the Dalai Lama, and this was at the uh, dedication of the Bloomington Tibetan Cultural Center. Yeah, well, it was one of the uh, one of the buildings and uh-huh. space in the name, but yeah, they had expanded and they had a new temple there. And the Dalai Lama was here, and so was uh, two world 
renowned figures mm-hmm. in Bloomington. Yeah. You were there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I like to tell my students, you know, that um, there's a real benefit to working for a paper uh, in a place like this and, and this size because big papers, everybody's protective of their, their beat and you've got mm. so many people wanting to cover things. And here you don't have enough people and you've got a lot of things happening. So um, just, just able to gravitate toward, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll cover that. And, and so gotten a lot of opportunities that way. Really an amazing amount, you know, considering the size of the paper and whatnot that uh, one of my uh, cliches is always that the world comes to you in Bloomington. Wow. And uh, so, you know, I've had that experience and be able to to interview all kinds of people. I mean, you know, Mikhail Gorbachev was here and I got to cover that. And it's just musicians out the wazoo. Yeah, yeah. Doing phoners or or in-person interviews, things like that. So I've really been lucky in that sense of of being exposed to things like that. Speaking of musicians, uh, here's another line from your last column. Uh, And then there's the irascible John Mellencamp. He's been testy with a good many people over the years, but he only lit into me one time. Mm-hmm. Why? He had some cause for that. Uh-oh. That uh, a journalist I knew um, had done, I think maybe even an internship or something at the Washington Post, but their writer had said, oh, John Mellencamp's washed up. Ooh. So I repeated some form of that, and John didn't like it, uh, and I don't blame him. Uh, and he's proven me wrong, you know, that he went on to uh, continually, you know, write different music and, and, and change what he was doing. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be one note, John. So he calls up and he just lights into me like a like a Bob Knight light, uh, you know, just yelling at me. and Voice raised. Is, oh, Ooh. oh, giving me hell, giving me big hell. Juicy. Uh-huh. And um, it got very close to the point where I was going to say, you know, my career doesn't depend on depend on whether we get along or not, you know. But I I don't appreciate this. And then I think he whether he sensed it or he was just done, I don't know. And he says, "Okay, enough about that." And then we finish talking about his latest project or whatever we was doing. And then he ends the conversation saying, "Okay, buddy, talk to you later." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the lesson is people just want to be heard. Right, and, and plus he needed to blow off, and once, yeah. once he gave him, gave me a piece of his mind, he's like, "All right, I finished there," and because we had a good relationship through the years, and so that was the one time where he jumped down my throat, and like I said, I take some responsibility for that. Well, as we uh, alluded to before, you went to work for Bloom Magazine, worked there uh, from 2013 to 2015. You did a profile on Don Johnson, who had been in both the Clinton and Obama. Uh, administrations. Uh, you also did a piece on how true to life was breaking away. And the question is, how true to life was it? <laughs> I'm not sure if I already had the idea or not. I, I think I'd, I'd heard Angelo Pizzo talk about this before. Mm-hmm. But he had said, you know, that he appreciated the movie, but as a kid growing up in Bloomington, he watched it and said, that doesn't look like anybody I grew up with. It, it wasn't like that. And, yeah. and he said, you know, you went to Bloomington High School, and, and some of the kids were farmers, and some of the kids were professors' kids. Yeah. And he said there wasn't that town-gown uh, conflict that is in the movie. He said, we all got along. 
That is Mike Leonard. He has worked for just about everybody in town. Bloom Magazine, the Herald Times, before that, the Herald Telephone. Mike, thanks for being on Big Talk. Oh, I'm happy to be here. And, you know, congratulations to you for doing this job that I think you just add to the richness and we need more voices. And so uh, I appreciate the job you do. (laughs) 